Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. So then Gavin, he's like, well, we'll just, you won't be allowed to take the company car to Newark for your live performance. And I'm like, good. I didn't want to go to Newark anyway, Fast Eddie. Ass. The following podcast contains... Profanity, food jokes, and tired comedy references. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you went to all the trouble to buy your shit just to have some chick come and help you get rid of your shit? What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, January 18th, 2019, Pardon This Trash Heap edition of the show, where we hold our lives up to see if they spark joy and find out they don't. Stay tuned. The What the Hell You Thinking podcast is brought to you by your high school yearbooks, which wants to remind you... We're still here for some reason. Your high school yearbook does not want you to take it out from the box and remember how much joy it brought you 30 years ago when it was relevant. It doesn't want to go on the trash pile just because it's filled with people you haven't thought of in 30 years and honestly didn't like that much then. Your high school yearbook wants to stay quietly buried in that box in your closet, forgotten, ignored during your cleaning binge. Just leave it alone and quietly forget how much space it's taken up and how it has no value of any kind. Your high school yearbook. We can spark joy, we promise. Just leave us alone in the box. Bring out your dead as one. Ninepence. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Here. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. They've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. You think I'll go for a walk? You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look, there's no something you can do. I feel happy. I feel happy. Ah, oh, thanks very much. That's all. Growing up in a military family meant every 18 months or so, you would be called upon to take all your worldly possessions, put them in a box, and watch them be hauled a few thousand miles away, where they would be taken out of the box to await their next packing. Doesn't sound like too much fun to me. Oh, it really wasn't. I mean, and I was lucky. My pops was an officer, which meant we had a pretty generous allowance on what the government would move for us. But it still meant that whenever we moved, my mom would order the purge of all the useless crap we'd accumulated during the brief months of our occupancies. Broken toys, outgrown clothes, piles of mad magazines, and anything that we would acquire that just generally annoyed my mom would have to go on the cart. And I don't want this to sound as though it was a thoughtless or cruel exercise. My my sister and I certainly retained a healthy supply of toys and books, including large and unwieldy ones like Barbie dream houses and Castle Grayskulls. What do we have here? It's Castle Grayskull. And it's mine. That's so fast, beast man. It did mean, however, that we developed the habit of getting rid of clutter and shit that tends to fill up stationary households. We learned to prioritize our belongings and pack just 
essentials. You know, only what we needed to survive. What's this? I said take only what you need to survive. It's my industrial strength hair dryer. And I can't live without it! So when I joined the military, I found myself even further constrained by a much smaller allowance of personal goods because I was far from an officer. So I accumulated the detritus of life at a slower rate than most other people. You would uh, think that I, a child of wandering parents, would not suffer from the congestion of junk that afflicts most of Americans that requires a small Japanese lady to come to their homes and tell them how to get rid of their shit. She would be dead wrong. Yeah, I too have overflowing closets, jammed bookshelves, and inexplicable articles of junk that just take up space. And whether or not they might spark joy, I have no idea. If I knew what the fuck they were, I might have some idea. I don't know what they are or how I've got them. I mean, why do I have a four-foot-tall plastic mountain inside my bedroom? No one knows the answer to this. Not even me, and I bought the damn thing. The reason I'm talking about this as opposed to, say, the ongoing national shitter fire that is our nation's disgrace is, of course, that living your life in a cluttered and disorganized way is far easier to deal with than living in a nation that's governed by a Russian-controlled daughter who's never sparked joy in anyone's life, particularly his three wives. And also, because of this new show on Netflix has swept the nation, causing folks to embrace the idea that since they can't fix their government, maybe they can fix their lives with the help of a tiny J Japanese lady named Marie Kondo. This girl's no joke. This is amazing. Uh, we have too much stuff. It's official. Kondo is an organizing consultant and author who's written four books on how, ironically, to organize your life according to her self-devised method called KonMari, which is apparently Japanese for the me method that Maria Kondo devised. Boy, this sounds complicated. Well, let me summarize it from her Wikipedia page. Kondo's methods of organizing is known as KonMari method, and it consists of gathering together all of one's belongings one category at a time, then keeping only those things that spark joy or tokimeku the word in japanese means flutter throb or palpate and choosing a place for everything and from then on kondo says that her method is partly inspired by the traditional japanese shinto folk religion cleaning and organizing things properly can be a spiritual practice in shintoism which is concerned with the energy or divine spirit of things kami and the right way to live kanagra well that clears things up let me see if i can explain it better Although you should keep in mind that I've not read any of her books and I've only watched maybe, uh, I don't know, max 10 minutes of her show. So you know nothing. Great. <laughs> Hi, have you heard this show? So this is what I think Maria suggests is that you gather your belongings into big piles. Then you pick up each item in turn and decide whether or not that item makes you happy. How am I supposed to know that? I don't know. That's probably something she covers in the book or the show, but... I would just say you'd make a snap decision based on how you feel about the thing at the moment you're pretending to practice KonMari. Well, you will if you follow this method, all right? So if the thing makes you happy or sparks joy, again, perhaps she covers this in the book, but I can only assume that smoking a big bowl of Chiba is not recommended because everything makes you happy when you're high as fuck. If it does spark joy, you put it on one side for later storage. If it doesn't, you say thank you to the item for the joy that it brought you previously, and then throw it on the shitter pile. 
<laughs> honestly, this is this is how most of my girlfriends have broken up with me through the years. So you repeat this until you've sorted through everything you own, and presumably your pile of shit is much bigger than your pile of happiness. Again, like most of the women that I've dated through my life. Once the happiness pile has been sorted, it must be folded according to her special method and stored in such a way as to, I don't know, maximize their happiness and also fit into the special boxes that Maria sells for $89 a pop. Once they're in their special expensive boxes, they should only reside in those expensive boxes so that you will not ever need to repeat this process ever again. Because presumably, you go out and buy all new shit so as not to disturb the feng shui of your immaculately organized house. Ideally, you would buy a second house and actually live there and come back to visit all of your happy things whenever you're feeling a little blue over paying off the credit card bills for those expensive boxes and the second mortgage on your new house. Again, I haven't read the material. Needless to say, this idea has really taken hold in America, where the only thing better than having a lot of shit is being told that it's okay to throw a lot of it out because you're going to get to buy brand new shit. Now, of course, I'm being a cynical, snarky asshole because that sparks joy in me, but a lot of other people have also taken some issue with the condo, condo craze, particularly on Twitter, which is actually the anti-joy, the opposite particle of joy that destroys happiness when it comes in contact with it. Now, of course, I am being a snarky and cynical asshole because that sparks joy in me. But a lot of other people have taken some issue with this whole condo craze, particularly on Twitter. And Twitter is actually anti-joy, the opposite particle of joy that destroys happiness when it comes in contact with it. You know the most destructive force in the universe? Because you can come for our four-year-old underwear, but when you come for our books... Boys, we have a serious problem. And that's what people think Maria Kondo is doing. Quoting from a Washington Post article by book critic Ron Charles, quote, Maria Kondo is back, and this time it's personal. This month, she's taking the KonMari method to television with a Netflix show called Tidying Up with Maria Kondo. And suddenly, people have noticed the dark side of Kondo's war on stuff. She hates books. Well, what Kondo actually said is perhaps less outrageous. She told a young, moderately cluttered couple, take every single book into your hands, see if it sparks joy for you. This is Kondo's fundamental advice, which she applies to everything from mismatched socks to old Tupperware, but it's advice that seems particularly problematic when applied to literature. The first challenge is volume. I have a house full of books, thousands of books. To take every single book in my hand and test it for sparkiness would take years. And during that time, so many more books will pour in. In the life-changing magic of tidying up, Kondo advises deciding the fate of each book only by touch. Make sure you don't start reading it, she says. Reading clouds your judgment. Oh, no, she didn't. In fact, Kondo said in one of her books that ideally a home should contain no more than 30 books. 30 books? I've got that many books on my fucking nightstand that I'm currently reading at the moment. I love books. It kills me to think about getting rid of them. And it damn near did kill me because a few years ago, I was forced to downsize my sizable book collection that I collected over the decades since the last time I'd moved. I was moving from the three-bedroom roach-infested molded-over shithole apartment in New York City to a one-bedroom roach-infested molded-over shithole apartment in New York City. And frankly, I could not store, much less move, that many books. 
And I had to make some hard decisions. And for the first time in my life, I actually understood what was going on in the movie Sophie's Choice. You are so mad pathetic right now. There are books in there that I'd had since my teens, books that had literally traveled the world with me, books that sparked so much joy the thought of parting with them was agonizing. Yet, they were mass market paperbacks with no real value, and honestly, I hadn't read them in 20 years. I couldn't sell them. I couldn't even give them away. I piled them up in the street corner, and no one took any of them. I guess the market for Dragonlance novels about Tafelhoff Burfoot's adventures aren't what, isn't what it once was. The upshot was, I went from about 300-odd books down to about 100 or so books, and even those aren't even actually on a shelf in my, that you can see. They're in my closet because I had to pri prioritize my bookshelf to hold my gaming collection over those books, which actually makes me look far worse to anyone, particularly any woman who sets foot in my apartment. It's like John Waters says, if you go home with somebody and they don't have books, don't fuck them. If you go home with somebody and all you see is D&D books, no one has ever fucked them. Now that I think about it, this probably explains my sexual drought that I'm experiencing. I get why people are touchy about their books, because for a certain subset of people, our books are more than just knowledge or passion or even entertainment. They're a statement of how we see ourselves. If you looked at the books that made my cut, they consist of two categories. The oldest books I own, the ones that led me into a lifelong love of reading, and the books that I think will impress others when and if they see them. Largely volumes of history and poetry, all of which I've read and loved, but also ones that I think people are going to think better of me when they see them on a shelf. So, Twitter was inspired not so much to attack Kondo, who is entirely self-effacing and charming, but like the host of the Slate's Culture Gabfest podcast said, she's a manic dream pixie of cleaning, which is apt if you've watched even a minute of her show. But to rise to the defense of having entirely too many books, it was less about the outrage, which is almost certainly contrived for the sake of meme humor, than it is about the mania that swirls around every new thing that comes down the pipe proclaiming its ability to fix what's wrong with us. And what's wrong with us is that we have entirely too much shit. Kondo's Shinto beliefs infuse her philosophy, and Shintoism is an animistic religion, believing that inanimate objects and natural phenomena possess a spirit or soul of their own. It extends to household objects, to the sense of being, the same way it might a tree or a river. You, uh, you want to run that by me again? Look, I'm far less of an expert on Shintoism than I am on KonMari, but the gist of it is that things possess spirits and that the, the spirits are the essence of the thing. A stone in the path, a flower on a tree, a fish in a pond, the wind in the garden, the ocean, the sun, the moon, and of course people all have a force within them that contributes to the universe as a whole. The same way that books or clothes or your favorite spatula also have a spirit within them that contributes to the universe as a whole. This, you're not unfamiliar with the basic tenets of animism and Shintoism. You've heard it before in your life. You just didn't know that you were hearing it. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings don't eat, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you, here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yes, even between the land and the ship. Lucas just gussied it up, slapped some Western colonialism bullshit on top of it, and fed it right back to you. But its heart, the force, 
is basically animism. So what Kondo is trying to impart to us Westerners is a little bit of her religion when she suggests that we feel the joy spark by an object. She's asking us to feel the spirit that animates the object and tells you something about it. If you've ever been to a Shinto shrine, which I have, they're beautiful. And things in that shrine are in a very specific place for a very specific reason. In her worldview, there is order, discipline, and harmony in knowing where things belong. And this extends even to people that they know where they belong. In its pacifistic form, this order and discipline leads to the beautiful elegance of a Shinto shrine. In its militaristic form, you get the Japanese Empire in the mid-20th century. And I'm not making it a criticism because all beliefs can be perverted. Take a look at Christianity and you'll see what I mean. But there's so much to be said for the harmony and order of Kondo's philosophies. But the problem is, that just shit don't work for us Westerners whose grounding in religion relies entirely on otherworldly entities and powers, not of the natural world. It's one of the reasons why we've so fucked up this planet and so, so badly. Our reward is not in this world, but in the, but in the next. So what we do in this one doesn't matter fuck all. It also makes us obsessed with the accumulation of material goods in this world to reflect our status and success. We mindlessly accumulate things in order to prove to ourselves that we are the masters of this world, to validate our fleeting existence, and to secure ourselves from the terror of our own mortality. We do not share the world. We own it. We dominate it. And we demonstrate our success in our things. We have more than we will ever need. But that doesn't stop us from wanting more. And that is why we're perverting the ideals of what Kondo is trying to teach. We dispose of old things only to accumulate new things because in that accumulation, we prove to ourselves and others our place in the world. And this is the foundation of Western ideology. Well, that and uh, our cultural need for chaos. Western philosophy more or less accepts that there's no perfect order or place in the universe, that everything that was, is, and will be is a churning mass of randomness and external forces that cannot be controlled, only perhaps predicted and managed. It is what drives our societies. It's at the root of our capitalism and innovation. Chaos is the fire that powers the engines of our progress and occasionally gets out of control and burns things to the ground. You are going to have to take the good with the bad. And we're not good with too much order and discipline, because when we do that, things go really, really bad. See Germany in the mid-20th century. Which is why I believe the current condo mania is just another bullshit fad that'll run through our hyper-accelerated culture and burn out when the next new things come along. I'm a servant of chaos, you see. Chaotic good in the parlance of Dungeons and Dragons, if you will. I believe that disorder and randomness tempered with compassion and respect for others is a good state of affairs. If my t-shirts are piled haphazardly in my drawer, this has zero impact on my happiness. If my books are piled on a closet shelf, arriving the arrival of a bookcase that may never come that fits the cramped confines of my apartment, I'm not going to spend any time ever fretting over them their spirits, being unhappy. Hell, I'm not even one that believes that joy is something that should be prioritized over other emotions. Can you imagine being happy all the time? I mean, fuck, the impacts on music alone would be devastating. Fucking Leonard Cohen would have, been, would have written Baby Shark. No, no, thank you. I will take sadness, anger, ennui, joy, love, envy, contentment, anger, the entire panoply of human emotions. Thank you very much. If that means my Civil War drawer is just piled, is a, is a pile in an old soup bowl rather than neatly slotted into a kitchen drawer that I don't even have, 
I can live with that. I also believe it's fine to want to bring order to your lives. You do you. If you derive satisfaction from carefully folding your socks into a perfect shape, by all means, do that. They tried to teach me that shit in basic training, and I swore it would never happen again. But you do you. Just, you know, maybe stop chasing the latest thing to bring you happiness, okay? Try new things if you want. Nothing's wrong with new things. Just don't imbue them with miracle cure label. We seem to want to slap on anything that pops up for promising to fix what ails us. Because what ails us is us. It's who we are. The chaotic, greedy lovers of overpriced cell phones and $500 handbags. We can't fix ourselves. The best we can learn to do is moderate our worst impulses and try to keep our shit from spilling over into innocent people's lives. You don't need a method or anything. Just try not to be such a dick. 99% of humanity's problems could be solved by just trying not to be such a dick about things all the time and to recognize when people are trying not to be a dick and say thank you for that. Also, don't get pissy about Razor commercials. That's just really being uber dickish. I, I think this entire show tonight obviously was inspired by watching 10 minutes of Maria Kondo on Netflix, but it's also made me think about my favorite poem that's ever written by it's a by a guy named Tony Hoagland who who died last October, um, and uh, it's simply titled America. Then one of the students with blue hair and a tongue stud says that America is for him a maximum security prison, whose walls are made of Radio Shacks and Burger Kings and MTV episodes where you can't tell the show from the commercials. And I consider how to express how full of shit I think he is. He says that even when he's driven to the mall and is a Suzu trooper with his gang of friends letting rap music pour over them like boiling jacuzzis full of ball-peen hammers, even then he feels buried alive, captured, and suffocated in the folds of the thick satin quilt of America. And I wonder if this is a legitimate category of pain or whether he's just spin-doctoring for a better grade. And then I remember that when I stabbed my father in a dream last night, it was not blood, but money that gushed out of him. Bright green hundred dollar bills spilling from his wounds. And this is the weird part. He gasped. Thank God those Ben Franklins were clogging my heart. And so I perished happily freed from that which kept me from liberty. Which is when I knew it was a dream, since my dad would never speak in rhyme couplets. And I look at the student with his acne and cell phone and phony ghetto clothes, and I think, I am asleep in America too, and I don't know how to wake myself either. And I remember what Mark said near the end of his life. I was listening to the cries of the past when I should have been hearing the cries of the future. But how could he have imagined 100 channels of 24-hour cable or the kind of nightmare it might be when each day you watch rivers of blight merchandise run past you and you're floating in your pleasure boat upon this river even while others are drowning underneath you and you see their faces twisting in the surface of the waters and yet it seems to be your own hand which turns the volume higher. And this poem makes me remember why I keep a closet full of poetry, because it introduced me to treasures like this. And I swear to you, you will pry my books. I have only five words for you. From my cold, dead hands. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. Wow, got a 
all thinking and philosophical and shit, right? Who knew that when you tuned in the at the start of this show, we were going to close with Eastern and Western philosophy, religion, metaphysics, and poetry. You don't usually get that when you tune in here. Mostly you get dick jokes. So I'm thinking about like trying to do a spinoff podcast like Dick Jokes and Theology. I could, you know, interview famous scholars on the subjects of the theology and philosophy and just whip out dick jokes randomly. I mean, surely there's got to be a market for something like that, right? Although if I think about it, the, the market is probably smaller than the market who actually does listen to this show. And you're probably getting into subatomic particles at that point in time. Still, that's the miracle of podcasting. And speaking of miracles, you can bless others by rating a review of this show wherever you get your pods. It helps them find us, listen, and then head straight to confession so they can rid themselves of their sins. All of my carnal thoughts on sins of the flesh are on Twitter, the hell underscore podcast, and each one of our 194 sins of the spirit can be found on the show name on SoundCloud or www.whatthehellpodcast.com. So for me, Dave, sweep it under the rug, blood, so producer, Spritz it with the Windex cabin and all the fictional cleaning staff on this show. We want to say, we know this show doesn't spark joy, but we do fold up nicely for stories. We'll see you all next week. for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.